Hey, security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, here to demystify cybersecurity careers and help amazing leaders find great talent. I'm here with my two favorite people. First, my co-host, Chris Folon. Say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. And Dr. Dan is Mondays with Dan. Say hi to everybody, Dan. How's everybody doing today? think they're good. So we were just chatting, uh, Dan, Chris, and I, and we thought about the question or the comment that came up last week when we were when we were all um, here last Monday. And we talked about how this one CISO, the first CISO, said that, you know, when people asked, how did you sleep at night? He said, I slept like a baby. I was up every two hours crying. So <laughs> the question for today, we all we took that with us all week. That was such a good one. And I can't remember who made the comment, but thank you so much for that comment. So the question is, do you sleep like a baby? Who does and who doesn't? Dan? Um, I think that uh, what we'd like to do is whoever made that comment last week, if they can click in, we'd love to give them credit. People should be credited for great comments. Awesome comment. But, but again, you know, when you think about it, is if he's up all night crying, that means his uh, his leadership in his company is probably not. Chris, why don't you tell a story you said just before we got on? Yeah, there's a there's a really funny um, picture that's out there that shows through the sleeping positions of uh, C level executives. There is uh, the C the CEO laying on his back, totally comfortable. Um, not a care in the world. There's a CFO on their side, kind of worried, but not too worried. And then there's the bed of the CISO that's totally empty. And then you pan to the side a little bit and he's on the, on the ground crying like a baby. So <laughs> um, I, I think it, it, it shows within an organization um, where some of the risks lie. And you find that your CISOs are the ones always worried about what's coming around the corner. Well, you know, that, that's interesting because that's come up in previous conversations that we've had here when we were talking about how do you let somebody know that they need you? Well, the CEO who's flat on his back may not even know he's got a problem, may not even know his company is at risk. If you flip that out to the, the board of directors, or the board of trustees or whoever, if it's a medical facility, what don't they know? You know, it's what you don't know sometimes it's going to cause you a problem. So it's, and how do you, and when you know you have a problem or anticipate a problem, how quickly do you seek out the right, uh, the right cybersecurity professional to, to manage you, to work your company? See, you, yeah, mo mo most, pe most people think that, that uh, cybersecurity is run by uh, a CISO, but we see Chris here. He's got extra help with him today. <laughs> <laughs> he does. We saw the helper the other day. <laughs> no, uh, you're, you're, you're absolutely right, Dan. When it comes to filtering up the risks to the board and to the CEO, um, it's the CISO's job really to help highlight all the risks 
but they're not necessarily the ones making all the decisions. So um, it's the, the, the CISO's job and the security team's jobs to evaluate the threat landscape, to be aware of what's coming, and then to bring that awareness to the CEO. But until it becomes a to the level of a true risk or an incident, or something that really affects the company, um, the CEOs might not really be involved or might not be aware uh, that that's happening to their organization. Uh, you know, I, I think that's that's certainly a topic for people who are in those positions for another for another day. But I think that very often I've found that there are problems that go on in a company that people don't communicate up to the CEOs and the decision makers. And so decision makers are making decisions without all the information. They think they have it all, but they don't. And so what's the risk of, and you know, it's not like screaming fire in a, in a theater, but the point is, is that there's a lot of money on the line here. So it's how do you put together a presentation uh, that, that helps people to understand not only what the risks are from penetration, but what are the financial risks? What does it cost you not to do something? And that's where the balance has got to come. A lot of people are looking at, well, what does it cost me, for example, to hire Chris, or what does it cost me to hire, retain Renee, and also myself? My question is, what does it cost you not to do that? What does it cost you not to? Because, you know, people will always play Monday morning quarterback when something goes bad, but what if you could stop it beforehand? I just got off the phone with a guy and we were talking about marketing mistakes. And the fact is, is that many people today are, are marketing solutions, but the real factor is what mistakes are they preventing you from making? And so, and, and a challenge I'm sure for people who are thinking of transitioning to another job who have to persuade and influence a board, uh, who have to persuade and influence decision makers, it requires a strategy. You know, it's not, it's not just automatically talking about stuff and running around like a, uh, somebody with their hair on fire. The point is, is to put together a presentation that really is realistic and, and with the ultimate outcome based focus that somebody wants. We just don't want our company to get attacked or we don't want to lose a fortune here because, you know, at the end of the day, the, the amount of money that people are paying out today, I'm sure it's not even revealed because it's so high. But the point is that some, somebody at some point in time has to go back and explain to the boards or explain to some decision makers why this amount of money had to be happened, why this happened. And that, that can't be an easy place for a, uh, for a CEO. Dan, I have a question. What do you think is the reason why after so many companies have now had so many breaches, have had to pace, had, have had their reputation, have, ha have had damage to their reputation, damage to obviously their pocketbooks, um, so economic and, um, why do you think that they still don't want to be proactive or, um, 
when you say there's money and mistakes, like they still would prefer, or it seems as though they prefer to pay on the back end, deal with the aftermath than do the before prevention before. Well, at, great question, because I think that's what we need to put together. We need to put together a list of mistakes for cybersecurity people. What mistakes have your clients made before they became your client? And what did it cost them in money, emotion, and reputation? People who are listening in here can make this list up. They can send it in now. They can hold it together until next week. They can forward it to Renee. But I find it it's, it's remarkably powerful for somebody who has to even pitch themselves for a job or pitch a concept to do it on a mistakes marketing side. Because, you know, people will say, well, I should have come to you sooner. I mean, both both of you, I'm sure people, and I know Renee, we've, we've been dealing together for years. The amount of people have said, Renee, I should have listened to you. Yes, you should have, but you didn't. So what does it cost you not to listen to somebody? In, in a company with, you know, um, you have to me measure what the financial risk is. But I think there's the there's an embarrassment factor. Uh, a guy explains something to, to me about technology, and I start out right, right away. I said, wait a minute, you have to understand, I communicate with smoke signals. I don't even use a telephone. Right now. <laughs> so to the point, but who, who are you talking to? And how do you present it to a person who needs it presented in a, uh, how do you present it to somebody like a second grader? Right. As a matter of fact, I think some second graders have a better take on this stuff they than running companies. And one of the ways that, um, as a adjunct professor, that I'm having my students start to think about it early in their career is situation, complication, recommendation. So, what is the situation the company's in? What is the trouble that they have and the impact that that has on the organization? And then what are your recommendations? And you could do this in a proactive manner, um, or you could do this in a reactive manner when you're selling mistakes. So if you're selling mistakes, if you formulate it to the organization that you're talking to, this was a situation that our previous client was in, this is what happened, and then these were the mitigation steps, and it saved them X number of dollars, or because they didn't do it, it cost them X number of dollars. This is how you can sell those mistakes in the past in a very simple formula. Sure. I, I And I think that that's important that people do that. But there's also the other part is, you know, I've given presentations to groups of people. Well, I said, I've said to them, let me tell you what your competition is doing that they will never, ever tell you about. How do you get a competitive edge? Well, people are sitting back. I don't know what my competition is doing. Well, I can tell you because a lot of the people I work with will never, ever talk about me, but they put together very interesting strategies to get a competitive edge. People want to know what, if you could put yourself in the mind of the person who's trying to penetrate a company, what's that like? Who is that person? You need to be able to think like that person to be able to not just be sweeping up the mess after it's over. Yeah. And, Danielle. and Danielle sent a great thing out, you know, cybersecurity before before a breach is pennies, cybersecurity after a breach is a fortune. Yep. I would love somebody to put a number, if they could do it anonymously, put a number on that. Well, what, there's been some. What are, the dollar, some studies. what are the dollar signs mean? 
Another thing, Dan, is I had a uh, conversation with a um, one of uh, the CISOs, one of the many CISOs that I've spoken with, and specifically in the financial space. I don't know about how this, this was a couple years back, but he had shared with me that um, in some of these big banking institutions, you know, you can see they would see the money being taken out of these various accounts, but overall, it was it was less expensive for them to put the money, just put the money back than to, you know, create this, this um, huge, um, what they considered uh, a fortune to spend to protect um, their, the digital assets, the funds, the finances and things like that. So it's very interesting the way some organizations look at risk and what's risky for them. Um, and the risk reward, like, you know, does it make sense? Am I going to spend $500,000 in insurance on a $500,000 house? That kind of a scenario. So. Right. But I think that that, but on this, you see, I think that everybody who's on this call is an individual and each person here has got to persuade and influence somebody above them or below them to operate and function in a particular way. And so what tools do they have? based on who they're talking to, to understand what they have to say to get the person to take the move they want. Now, if somebody says, if somebody makes a recommendation like, like Chris was saying, what does that recommendation cost the company? I don't know. Is it in salary of, of a uh, cybersecurity person? Uh, is, it, uh, is it enough that the guy's gonna be comfortable not sleeping in his bed, but sleeping on the floor? <laughs> You know, uh, but but the whole point is, is it's all about outcome. We're really only talking about outcome. When I work with individuals, I talk about outcome. You know, what does 2025 look like? What does this look like when you get in this position? When you get into a particular job, if there are internal psychological dynamics that are going on around you, what does it cost you in aggravation not to find a way to deal with them? or to actually make, make some moves to deal with them. And how do you do it? How do you do it effectively? Do you ever take people out further than 2025? Excuse me? Do you ever go out further than 2025, like 2030? Well, we're, we're, 2025 is only going to last another month. And then we're in, 2026. we're in 2026. <laughs> well, see, most pe people are, talk about, go these are these, see, this is not, on the level that I work with people, guys, this is not uh, this is not goal setting. This is, not here is where I want to be in 2025. This is dreaming 2025. So in 2025, I give you a magic wand, you wave it, and you're in 2025. Tell me what it looks like. Your kids are five years older. You're five years older. You do it. You're living in the exact, fantastic, most fantastic job you could ever imagine. Doing exactly what you want to do. And if you ever get in a position where you're doing exactly what you want to do, you're not working anymore. I mean, I was talking, I, I was talking to yeah. a guy the other day who, uh, who's a currency trader, and he's put together a system for trading, uh, and he likes the islands. So he's decided he's going to go down and test out his trading system, which trades automatically. Uh, but he had to adjust it. What was the factor that he had to adjust it? What did he have to adjust it because of? The time the winds come up for his kite surfing. 
I love it. If, if he can, you know, the winds come up in the afternoon, so he's going to trade in the morning and, you know, whatever, whatever it is. So it's people setting their life up around with it, and they can do it now because now, you know, uh, there are people who used to go into the city, have to travel in the city, don't do that anymore. What are they doing? Yeah, Dan, one of the points you, you mentioned earlier was what what is your competition doing? And I was preparing for a talk a little bit earlier with one of my co-presenters on purple teaming your career. And part of that is the red, the red or adversarial emulation. And how we compare that to it is you're taking the tactics, techniques, and procedures that an adversary would do to attack your organization. And then on the other end, make sure that your defenses can stand up to that. With regards to your career, I approach the dream aspect as your overall tactic. What what are you working towards accomplishing in your career? And then you kind of break it down from there. What steps are you going to need to do to get there at a macro level? And then what smaller steps do you need to accomplish at the micro level? Right. That gives your dream. And that's something like your 2025 approach. And that that's going to stay like your North Star to guide you for your career. Sure. The, the, the invisible part of that whole system uh, is that you're really playing with the subconscious mind, which is where I help people to really develop uh, and pay attention to how best to use your subconscious mind. And so since your subconscious mind must act out every thought, image, or idea you put into it, uh, you dream the dream and your subconscious mind says, okay, if that's what you want, let's go. Well, it will work on that relentlessly unless you get in its way. My business is about keeping people out of the way of their dream. But you need to look backwards in 2025 for everything you could possibly do that would screw that up, that would derail you. And this is no different than sports. I mean, I anybody who's listening here who has kids who play high school or college sports, you know, it's what do they want to do? Where do they want to be? And we look at the, the, the academic trifecta. And I, I, this is done individually. This is just an overview. But it's uh, on-field performance, academic excellence, and off-field behavior. You may be a great hockey goaltender, but if your grades aren't good enough, no college will recruit you because a, a coach doesn't want to um, – doesn't want to take somebody who's going to become ineligible to play. So whereas parents are always saying, do this, do that, do the other thing. I say, you take the kid, you let him see that he's a CEO of his own company, that he's really running his own company. And then you say, you're going to make it every decision you make when you get out of bed is a business decision. What you eat, what you drink, what you smoke, who you're seen with, who takes your picture, what you put on Facebook, all those things are business decisions that will either enhance your business or not. It's so powerful when you say that, Dan, because, you know, I can tell you from, or I could tell the story about even my little eight-year-old, well, he's nine now, <laughs> when he talked to Dan and he was like, I'm the CEO of my own company. <laughs> and, he, and he went through the whole process. And it's so funny because it, it is, it's so empowering, right? Instead of the parent, 
you know, like carrying on. Now it's like, hey, it's your decision. You have decisions to make. Yeah. Um, so very is, empowering. For is, is, is your behavior right now going to get you closer to your dream or not further away from it? Now, all you need to do is look at the back page of any sports page and you can see all types of people who make really, really, really bad decisions. Yep. And so what what if we could get to them before they made those decisions? What if they could look at themselves? I remember being at a, a – uh, when I became involved with the NFL, I was at a presentation in the city and I had a guy who was a very popular – currently now very popular – football player, I said to him, I said, the U.S. team may see themselves as the CEOs of their own company. He says, no, they're football players. I said, but each one of them is running a company. They work and work and work and train and train and train, and they get to the combine uh, to be selected, and they do really well in the combine, and then they get drug tested, and they found out that they have drugs, in, and, and they've blown a whole career. You know, it, it always amazes me how when you look at the Grand Prix in, in the bike race in, in Europe, uh, how when you start out, you know you're going to be drug tested at the end. How do they take drugs in the beginning? What do they expect is going to happen? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And even for individuals um, thinking as thinking of themselves as, as their own CEO, um, if you approach your career like a consultant, um, whether you are a consultant or not, um, it provides a different approach as to how you manage your career. Because if you're your own company, you're, you're making decisions and you're providing advice that you're taking into consideration how that's going to affect your career in the long run. Um, being in a position where you're responsible for a company's security posture and it fails, that can reflect negatively on you. So you're you're ensuring that you're doing everything in your power to have the effect of the organization be positive also for your career, because that, that could have an impact on you. Absolutely. And, and I think the thing is, is that part of that is making sure that the, when you're interviewing a company for, for your next position, the question is, is, are they going to provide you with the resources that are necessary to make the kind of effective decisions you need to protect the company? If somebody's coming in wanting to, and I don't know what that involves. I don't know what involves in technology, but, but the point is, is that you have to make sure they got to give you the resources to do what you want to, you, you need to do. And what it costs them not to do that. What, you know, there's a lot of businesses today where people realize what it costs them to be late. We're late to this deal. I have a, I have a guy, a client of mine, who does uh, environmental design strategies for medical centers. And he had uh, put together a proposal of solar energy and all for this big hospital system. And uh, it was tied into a, a government grant. And he, uh, he kept talking to these people about making a decision, making a decision, making decisions. And ultimately, they, some politics got in the way, some personalities got in the way, and they didn't make the decision. It cost them, I think, four to five million dollars 
to miss the deadline. So he says, well, well, we'll do it now. He says, no, the deadline's passed. So how do those people go back to their hospital and say, we could have, we just gave up because of being late or not paying attention, our new pediatric unit or whatever. New wow. So, you know, it's what is what's the cost of making a mistake? And I propose that the cost of making mistakes, particularly in cybersecurity, are huge. So if somebody's looking at this as a business, see, if you run a company, you want to gather all the resources you can, costly resources, free resources, whatever they are, and put them in your toolbox and carry them with you. Because once you have them, they're with you. So it's how do you approach it mentally? And I, be, I believe, Chris, everybody that's on this call is running their own company. Yep. Danielle, another great comment. Michael Jordan is a good example of a successful CEO of his own company. Absolutely. And, and then to tack on to what you just said, um, what it costs to make a mistake is the impact to the organization. So as you present your, your case to your superior, to your clients, uh, situation, complication, um, impact, then you provide your recommendations. If you don't have the impact in that story, they don't see the value in, in implementing those mitigations. So that's, that's the, that is the influential part of that story. What is the impact to act or not to act? And then allow the decision makers to make the decisions from there. I agree with you, Chris. The CISOs that I've worked with have used a system that I have of profiling. You profile a person who's going to make the ultimate decision. What do they need to have happen? Renee and I have known this for years. We've worked with companies who, who uh, the, what appeared to be the, the desired outcome was not really the outcome. It was personality. It was something else. But what really is it going to take to uh, influence somebody? You know, I, I had a guy who came to me for this golf program to help him improve his golf game. And, and uh, he asked if I could meet him in his office. When I got to his office, he said to me, this isn't about golf. He says, I am in the middle of one of the biggest mergers and acquisitions going on in the country today. He said, I've got three guys that I have to persuade to run this company. So we profiled each one of them, what they needed to have happen, where they set politically and, and in the community. And a lot of it had to do with their public image. They couldn't afford to screw up. These guys who were at this hospital situation with my client, uh, they, they didn't, they didn't look beyond their own, their own uh, situation where they were. They didn't take a, a thousand foot view. And Renee have talked, Renee and I have talked about this a lot is helping somebody take a thousand foot view of their company. Yeah, Dan, I think that um, A, taking a thousand foot view and B, also, um, you know, going back even to 2025 when you're looking backwards, I think understanding that that 2025, that dreaming of 2025 and looking backwards is such a different, um, it's such a different mindset, mind shift, actually, when you're looking, when you are sitting at your desk in 2025. Um, and I don't, unless somebody's worked with you uh, or, you know, done something similar, I don't think that they fully would get what that really means. Um, and 
making decisions based on yourself five years ago today is so different. I mean, for me, it was just such a mind shift. You know, there's so many times where I would be tempted to, you know, <laughs> tell somebody to kick rocks. <laughs> but I would say, would Renee in 2025 do this? You know, what would Renee be doing in 2025? Five years out, you know, with this level of potential influence, company size, whatever it is, you know, is this the kind of reputation that I want to have? Is this the kind of, do I want somebody five years from now saying, oh, that's the woman that, you know, five years ago told me to kick rocks. So just repositioning, like literally sitting in 2025, imagining yourself in 2025, dreaming like I am sitting in what Dan talked about. This is the house that I live in. This is the this is what my office looks like. This is my title. This is my, you know, this is how much money I have in my bank account. This is what my health looks like. Like all of these various things that you're sitting there, the decision-making process is so very different um, when you're, you know, when you're out, when you're, when you're far out like that. And I think I was, I was talking to um, a colleague about this the other day and talking about you, Dan, in 2025 in particular, and, you know, the 10,000 foot view, things like that. And kind of, I was able to give like really good, really like concrete examples. And he, he got it. He was like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't even think about it like that. Like to your point, Dan, a lot of times people think goals, people think, okay, like this is where I'm going to be. This is where I, so you have to act like you are. Like I am in 2025 right now. Right. Every decision that I'm making is, do I want to, what, what, if, if I'm in 2025, what decisions am I making? Not Renee in 2020. What, so does it, what does it look like? What does it look like? What does it look like? You know? The other thing too is, is on a traditional goal setting process, this is difficult to do sometimes, but not when you hand it off to, to uh, your subconscious mind. Because you've got all your skills and talents and everything that you do. Some you know you do, some you don't know you do. But, you know, everybody on this call knows way more than they know that they know. They just don't know how much they know. The amount of people we've run into who can't tell you what they do well uh, is astounding. But, again, it's when, you, you know, I, I come back to football. I worked with one of the NFL's top quarterbacks. And, you know, so when he gets the ball – it's you can either hold a ball yourself or you can hand it off to somebody else or pass it. I think what happens with this process is that you hand it off to your subconscious mind. Trust that your subconscious mind will um, help you and guide you in the right direction as long as you don't get in its way. It's why I tell people, it's a little book plug, my book click. Uh, I tell people, don't read the book. Don't read the book. <laughs> Scroll the table of contents and let your subconscious mind tell you exactly what you need to read for the next deal you're going into. And it will do it every single time. Now, most people will sit there and go, this is nuts. I'm not going to tell anybody I'm doing this. This is crazy. But the people who are doing it will not tell you that. I, mean, I just had a guy who went out and did really well in a golf tournament, and he played – the whole round of golf that he was going to play on Saturday morning, Friday night at 12 o'clock, just before he got into bed. 
He did it under hypnosis. He did it under some focus, concentration, visualization stuff. But at the end of the day, he did really well because when he got out there, he had already been there. I mean, I have, you know, I have a, uh, I have a, a client who's a, a 55-year-old MMA cage fighter. She won her last fight in 49 seconds. Well, very, very, very tough lady. Somebody said, what's it like to fight Jody? I said, you might just as well jump into a wood chipper. <laughs> but, but again she did this fight for three weeks under hypnosis on the phone yeah but when she got into the cage she was there she had already been there yeah so it, this is preparation to com compete it's, you know when we're looking at cybersecurity awareness I, for this month, I think we need to look at a couple of things. We need to look about your preparedness. How prepared are you? How can you get ultra prepared? How can you get more prepared? And then what else is involved in getting you where you want to get be? Some people need to have you convince them or inform them that they need you. Other people don't think they need you. They're looking at a budget. As Danielle said in the beginning, forget the budget if you get hit, if you don't get hit. And then again, it's, you know, how many do the three of us want to put out a special set of dice that we hand out to people, you know, when you go in for a job, you know, you don't have to interview anybody. Just take the dice and throw them on the table. <laughs> you know, is, your, is your company rolling the dice on this? Is your company rolling the dice, not going to somebody like Renee to get somebody who's really super qualified? with a tremendous reputation and a good background. Uh, somebody like Chris, who has all his knowledge about this stuff. But, you know, it's, what, what are you not doing? So it's, so who, who sleeps like a baby and who doesn't? Well, who doesn't, who doesn't? I don't know. Right. So Dan, it is, we're at the 34 minute mark and I want to thank you for coming back again. These are always interesting, enlightening. I think there's so many takeaways every week. Um, can't thank you enough for being here all these months now um, during through this virtual land that we are in. So thank you again. We'll see you well, again next week. Um, thanks, Chris, for all the feedback we got in the beginning. And for anybody who calls in, you know, send in any questions. If anything, if there's something you're dealing with that you can talk to Renee directly about, email her or email me. Uh, I have, uh, I have my my uh, 15 minute uh, speed dating <laughs> call. And call me and tell me what's going on. If I can help you with it, I'll help you. If I can't help you, if I can't be of help, I'll let you know that too. For sure, absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Dan. And we will see you tomorrow on another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. Bye, Thanks, everybody. everyone. Bye.